Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Bear Sage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Pless. Ed, welcome back from Australia. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Uh, I love melatonin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and being on the longest flight in aviation. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually the third, the third longest. It's 16 hours and 55 minutes from Sydney to Dallas. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Well, Ed, I'm really excited today. We have a returning guest on, uh, backed by popular demand, I might add, because uh, last time he was on was December 5th, 2014. I can't believe we waited this long to bring Mr. Tim Williams back. Tim, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Guys, that has uh, gone by quickly, hasn't it? It really has. You know, I'm not going to read your entire bio, t- Tim, but just to do it justice, I mean, you did found Ignition Consulting Group. Uh, You're a noted author and presenter for major industry associations and business conferences. You work literally around the world. You've been quoted by the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, The Economist, and lots of other business publications. You're the author of several books, including for uh, Positioning for Professionals, uh, which is your latest book, and Take a Stand for Your Brand. You've also written, uh, you know, you write a lot of blog posts on your blog, uh, Propulsion, and uh, you're also, uh, I'm happy to report, a senior fellow at the Veris Age Institute. Um, and, and Tim, you were the CEO of R&R Partners, the agency, and I just always have to say this because I just think it's so awesome that did the whole What Happens in Vegas Stays in Vegas campaign. Yeah, I, I was president of that firm uh, during that uh, time uh, when that campaign was uh, created. It was uh, it, it, who you never know in advance what's what's going to make a splash and what doesn't, but that certainly did. Boy, it sure did. It literally changed the culture, and that's just so cool. Um, you know, uh, and this just this is out of the blue, Tim. I was just you know thumbing through TV last night, and I just couldn't believe this. And when I see this, I just go nuts. You know, this whole debate of what's more valuable, the idea or its execution. And you're a creative guy. You come from a creative world. I mean, ad agencies are the ultimate knowledge workers and ideation and creativity and all that. And when I see Hollywood remaking chips for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, they're they're making they're re, they're doing a TV a movie on the TV show Chips, and then you know they've done Bewitched, they've done the Dukes of Hazard, and I just think, what are they out of ideas? And, and it makes me think about the ad agency. 
you know, in TV commercials, which tend to be pretty crummy, except for, you know, there's exceptions, but why do you think that is? Uh, Wow, I can't speak for Hollywood, uh, but I certainly agree about the recycled ideas. Um, To the the question of which which is more valuable, the idea or or its execution, I mean, that that is, uh, there's a, I think there's a creativity uh, as, angle to that, and, and of course, just uh, for, from a legal aspect, uh, in terms of IP protection, you you can't you can't really trademark an idea. You can only trademark its execution. Um, right. And and so you know the idea just has inherently more more value, uh, and and obviously a great idea, the so-called big idea in the advertising business. Can be repurposed so many different ways, and uh, ironically, and can have a very long life. I mean, uh, I look at look how long some very famous uh, ad campaigns have been around, and and those that that were created, you know, decades ago are often repurposed and resurfaced. Uh, you know, the Avis "We Try Harder" and and others. Um, it, it just shows you that the, the, the power and staying power and the value horizon of a really great idea, which ironically. The agency business chronically undercharges for it's. Uh, they they tend to to almost give away the idea and try to make the, their money on the execution, which of course is just uh, backwards and upside down of where it should be. Right, right, and I do. We, I definitely want to talk to you about that that whole magic logic difference because we have a video of you doing a presentation. I believe it's in London, where you say it's literally like at the ad agencies are in two different businesses. There's a magic component and a logic business. Yep. But in 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 your book, Tim, positioning for professionals, um, and the subtitle is how professional knowledge firms can differentiate their way to success and it's published by john wiley and sons it's a fantastic book we recommend it everywhere we go um you say in there that in business imitation is not the most sincere form of flattery it's just lazy (laughs) and and i know you have an anthropological reason why or explanation for why we tend to imitate and benchmark and all of that but can you kind of unpack that for me Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a discipline in in the uh, in the ad business uh, called account planning, brand planning, and the, these tend to be uh, anthropologists uh, as much as anything. It's just as likely that they would have a degree in anthropology or sociology uh, as marketing. And so this has been widely studied. This idea that our our propensity to copy. Uh, runs deep in our DNA and our human behavior. It is one of our very earliest instincts as, as humans. Because if you think back in the days of a hunter-gatherer society, that, that would make a lot of sense that, you, that you'd want to develop uh, the, the, the propensity to copy because you're going to copy successful behaviors that are going to keep you alive and keep you from being eaten. But that same instinct uh, does not serve us well at all when it comes to business and, and it points us exactly in the in the opposite direction and so we we literally have to work against our human nature and and also our instinct of what is so-called you know quote-unquote common sense uh, to to avoid uh, copying the behaviors of competitors because we just assume it, it it's common sense we assume it's uh, natural behavior and it, and it is so that's what makes it that's one of the things that makes it so difficult is we have to literally go against our human nature 
Boy, and it's difficult too. I mean, Ed and I always joke that one of the questions we always get when we talk about this topic is, well, tell us what other firms are doing to differentiate themselves so we can do it too. Mm, yeah, my, my, one of my least favorite questions in, in those situations for sure. Who else is doing this? Yeah. Right, right. It's like, well, that's precisely why you need to do it because nobody right. else is doing it. And what would it matter if the answer were no one? Uh, in fact, it would, it would be... It would be best if the answer was no one. Right. Tim, you say in your book, positioning is the foundation of branding because it identifies what the brand stands for. And, I mean, you've taught me so much over the years, but one of my favorite all-time lines from you is a brand can't stand uh, for two things at once. And then you go on to lay out, uh, the uh, talk about the value proposition, that every value proposition will fall somewhere in the following three areas. And I just kind of want you to explain this. You, you talk about points of parity, points mm-hmm. of relevance, and points of difference. And tell me how that relates to the value proposition. Well, the, the, yeah, the idea is that whenever I hear the, the term, well, what we have is a two-pronged strategy, I think, well, <laughs> no, that's not a, it's not a two-pronged strategy. It's, it's, a, it's not a strategy at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's got a... A brand can only stand generally for one thing in the mind of your of your customer, um, and and it's it's hard enough to to get your brand uh, thought of as as anything at all, much less uh, as uh, so so to to put your effort into um, rather than trying to communicate too many things that you want your brand to, to stand for, uh, much better to, to concentrate your your energy around what's going to be the, the driving force. The points of parity, points of differentiation, really, the, the points of differentiation are the, are the definition of the markets your firm serves and the services or competencies that, that you offer. At, at the intersection of those two, two things, you've got a positioning strategy. Um, so many firms uh, want to target all markets, and offer every possible kind of service, which, of course, is not a strategy, but the absence of a strategy. Right, right. You say that the size is not a strategy. <laughs> I love that. Um, you, you talk about points of parity being generic to the category. I mean, I call I think of them as table stakes. And then yeah. you talk about points of relevance, where that's when a company really starts moving from being everything to everybody to, you know, to, to somebody. And then points of difference, not only what you are, but what you are not. Yeah. Can you, can, can you explain that? Because I, I, I think that's a great point. Well, I, one of my favorite definitions of strategies, uh, my, Michael Porter, a strategy is choosing what not to do. And it's easy to choose what to do. That, that is the long bullet point list of, of services that you see on the, the websites of uh, all, all kinds of professional firms. Deciding what to take off, what to eliminate, what not to do, what markets not to serve that strategy. And it's much more difficult because uh, we, we have this uh, idea that by opening, keeping all our options open, keeping all our doors open, that somehow that's going to attract more business. And, of course, the opposite is true. We, no, no client or prospect ever buys a, quote-unquote, wide range of services. Um, you know, what, what do they buy? They, they, they buy competency and experience and expertise in their category. They don't really care whether you have a, a, a 
wide range of experience in lots of categories. In fact, it, it can be a it can be a real negative. I I honestly believe that that that, that not only is that point a uh, wide range of services uh, not a differentiator, which of course it's not because everybody says it. I think it actually is a turnoff for for serious prospects who are only interested in one thing, and that's experience in in our business. Right. Right. It, it's very similar to even a product on that level, isn't it? I mean, we buy a product not to do everything, but to do a, some, to do a specific thing. Exactly right. The, the uh, Clay Christensen jobs to be done question. We, we, hire, we hire a product or service or a company to, to do a specific job for us. And the, 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 the better we can define that job, uh, the... the uh, the more persuasive our sales pitch is going to be. Right. And I know, you know, we've talked about Clayton's idea before, and he's, he's written a new book on it, Competing Against Luck, I think, is the title. And, and, I, and I read that book, and I, he's really flushed out that theory from the first HBR article he wrote. I don't know if yeah. you've had a chance to read that book, but I, I think it's a very interesting theory he's got about the job you're trying to do. Yeah, it's a very simple uh, lens to use for thinking about business strategy and positioning strategy. I mean, you can almost set everything else aside and just ask that question: What is the job that we're being that that our that our firm is being hired to do? You, you've got to have a compelling, differentiating, relevant answer to that question. Right, because one of the things you say also that I just love is you say you know service is a commodity. But smart thinking is not. <laughs> and yeah, it kind you of brings... get great service from a lot of firms that that uh, that are mediocre at, at at their core competencies, right? Great service is is widely available, um, but but brilliance isn't. Right, because you, you you know you said uh, I think you a- answer the question why why did you fire your agency, and somebody said well they never gave us anything we didn't ask for. And, and it, it's, it, customers aren't seeking partnerships with their ad agencies. They're seeking leadership, aren't they? Exactly right. That's the mi- mistake we make, and it, and it really plays into the, the thinking behind the, uh, the challenger sale and the, and, and the, the, the book of that title, um, the, the argument that the, our instincts are that the relationship builder, the, relation, the, the, the person who, is, who seeks to uh, appease and accommodate and be cooperative is is going to have um, the, the the best success in a in a sales situation, e- even in you know complex B two B situations like professional services. But it turns out the exact opposite is true. It's the challenger, uh, uh, who, the challenger personality who is willing to challenge in a diplomatic way, of course, but challenge the client's thinking and their processes. Uh, that uh, that actually uh, commands the most respect and ends up being much a much more effective um, salesperson. Yeah, that's a great point. I, you know, it reminds me of Crispin Porter when they were engaged by Domino's and and they went in there and they said, "Your pizza basically sucks." And then, <laughs> yeah. and unless yeah. you redesign your pizza, there's nothing we could do for you. We're putting lipstick on a pig, and and they got that deal. They got that account, didn't they? They did, and and uh, there there's a there's a backstory to that as well, and and that the the agency was being compensated not based on the uh, the work involved in executing 
an ad campaign, but rather their ability to improve the the K the K, KPIs that uh, the Domino's lives and dies by. So, right. so the agency knew that the the first thing that, that was going to help that company improve its uh, sales metrics was to reformulate its product. That there was no amount of advertising that that was really going to help. So that that was that's a great example of alignment of economic incentives. Yeah, for sure. Well, Tim, we were up against our first break. This is flying by. I knew it would. Folks, you can, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. And Tim, we did get a listener question for you. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be addressing that at some point in the show. And folks, check out our full show notes uh, at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll link where you can find Tim and subscribe to his blog, which I highly recommend. And of course, his book, Positioning for Professionals, which is fantastic. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Tim Williams is the author of Positioning for Professionals, How Professional Knowledge Firms Can Differentiate Their Way to Success, and of course, his previous book, Take a Stand for Your Brand. If you do want to listen to the show that Tim was on in December of 2014, go to com slash Williams and you will find that show. This one will be com slash Williams too once we get it up on the site with all of our show notes. So, Tim, I had the great pleasure of working in Australia this past week with a number of organizations, one in specifically, and we, in specific, and we were talking a lot about your 
strategic box and the, the the four the four sides of this box to develop strategy. I wonder if you wouldn't wouldn't mind taking us through that rather quickly. Uh, it, and it's tough it's tough to paint a picture on on uh, on on radio, but we'll, sure. we'll put show notes up uh, up and it's four sides of a box. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I call them uh, brand boundaries. In effect, it's this idea that you know one of one of the comments that that, that we hear a lot uh, is, well, I don't want to be pigeonholed. I don't want to be boxed in. And of course, uh, the the that's the whole idea of strategy is we we do want to be boxed in. If we have no brand, if we have no no <laughs> box, no boundary. We we have no strategy. And. And so the, the boundaries that, that we want to set for ourselves, are, there are four of them, uh, and they all start with C, of course, you know, consultant types. We work very hard to, to, to make everything start with the same letter. So the first right, one, right. It's really right, so we can remember it more than anything right. else. But it's a mnemonic <laughs> device. So, so the first and, and most uh, important is, is who is your customer? I mean, this is uh, the, also the work of Peter Drucker, who says that's the first essential question of any business. Any business. So... So, so boundary one, who, who is your customer? Who's your target market? The answer can't be everyone. The second is competencies. So this is a question of what solutions do you offer that are uh, unique and differentiating and best in class? So not just things that, yeah, I think we could do that if we, you know, we could probably figure that out, but things that you can do repeatedly uh, in an excellent way. The third uh, we call um, your your culture, and this is the idea of in what way is your firm, your company distinguished by its philosophies and methodologies and approaches. Sometimes that that can be quite differentiating, and, and the fourth is is the, the most difficult I think to define, uh, but but essential, and uh, I call it calling. And this is the question of purpose. Uh, this is. Um, Answering the question, why are we in business in the first place? And of course, there's been there have been a lot of good books on that uh, topic, Simon Sinek's work, and so forth. So, um, customers, competencies, culture, calling—those are the four boundaries uh, of your of your brand. And you've got to have a, a good, clear, differentiating answer to all four of those. And that's what I wanted to ask: is is that yes, you've got it. You have to do some thinking on all four of them. You mentioned that that calling is probably the most difficult one to to get to, and I think that that's probably true, but ju- 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 only because of what Simon Sinek says, and that it's unexpressible by our our mind that that understands language. But but other than that, of the other three, which one which one of those other three do you think that that professional firms struggle with the most, and why do you think that is? Well, I'll, I'll come at that at a slightly different angle. Uh, most professional firms default on the boundary I call culture, which is trying trying to differentiate their firms based on a philosophy, and it will be expressed as a tagline on their business card. You know, some 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 different way they approach you know a customer service or some different uh, methodology they have internally that they feel is is what is going to differentiate them. And, of course, it, it hardly ever is truly that differentiating. Um, so I tend to, to set that one aside as well and focus on customers and competencies because you of those two, at least one of those two has to be quite narrow to have a successful strategy. Ideally, both should be narrow, and this is counterintuitive, 
uh, to how we think. We, we, we feel like, well, wait a minute, narrow, that means small, right? But actually, many, uh, most of the, most of the, uh, the companies that we think of as very successful are actually quite narrow. I mean, Starbucks is pretty narrow. It's just coffee. But mm-hmm. they're on every street corner on, on the globe, so uh, narrow isn't small. So we we want to find we want to have a good um, narrow definition of at least one of those two competencies or customers um, to to be able to have a, a strategy that that is uh, going to be uh, successful. And and one of the things either you mentioned in the book or or in a presentation that I I saw was the, the example of Apple having less than a hundred SKUs in their store and HP having you know 15, tens 000. of thousands yeah. fifteen thousand <laughs> and yeah. the 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 obvious differential between those and then and you say that we actually pay a we we pay a, a price for being so so scattered so all over the place right we do I, I mean literally it's a. Uh, I mean, there are a couple <clears throat> ways to think about this. It's a it's a complexity tax that you might as well put on your income statement. You might you might as well just add it there. You know, right down there before taxes, <laughs> add complexity <laughs> tax because it really does come off your bottom line. It the, the the degree to which you've diversified your 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 organization trying to support um, expertise in so many markets, offering so many different services. Adds a level of complexity that just is is just expensive. Um, Wall Street has, has a term for it. They call it the diversification discount, and they they will discount a uh, complex company by somewhere between eight to twelve percent in terms of their 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 valuation because they know it's more difficult for complex business models to be profitable than it is a streamlined uh, business. Uh, for example. Uh, you know, Coke, which used to be Coca-Cola company, which used to be quite diversified, um, wh- when they decided to streamline and just be in the beverage business, uh, their their market cap uh, shot way up, and uh, that's that's how Wall Street thinks about this as well. And it's a, it's such a great point, and m- most people, like as you said, don't don't think all that much about it. I, I want to shift a little bit on you here, and that is to another thing that I heard you talk about and honestly of the things that you and I have spoken about over the years I think this is the one that sticks out in my mind the most and I know I mentioned this in many of the engagements that I that I do with with uh, partner organizations at Sage and that is the difference between magic work and logic work and if you could just define them quickly and then I want to ask you a question about it sure well it's a phenomenon that certainly applies to professional services, but but really across the board. Uh, this idea that uh, our, we we are in two different businesses. We're we're in the magic business, which is the ideation, problem solving, innovation uh, business, where we bring to bear a our our professional expertise. Uh, and then we're also in the logic business, which is the execution implementation part of what we do. And and both are important, and both have to be done well. But they they tend to have uh, wildly different perceived value for uh, on the part of the customer. And what what, what I'm, the question that I wanted to ask you about this was was this. That line is constantly moving, isn't it? Stuff that was that was was magic work last year is becomes logic work this year, and it it, it happens almost at a, at a at a lightning pace, so so quickly that you can almost not keep up with it. 
Absolutely true. Things that that were magic in you know in 1990 are are maybe now logic uh, today because of uh, technology or artificial intelligence. And uh, that that is a line that, as you say, Ed, is constantly moving, and we've got to keep up with it because we make the mistake of, of trying to generate uh, the, the the bulk of our revenues from the, the least valuable um, side of that equation. We we try to, I mean, in 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 the in the advertising agency uh, industry, I I estimate that up to eighty percent of the revenues of a typical agency are generated actually from from logic type work, which uh, it's difficult to, to, to do profitably because the, there's such pricing pressure on it, and these are, these are services that, by definition, are fit into the world of perfect competition, right? They're widely available, they're repeatable, they're standardized, and, and, a, and a, a client, a customer, can always find a lower, a lower cost provider for those services, so we, we ought not try and make our margins there. We need to do a much better job of packaging up and selling our magic. Great. Outstanding. And we are up against a break. And this is, I hope, is setting Ron up to talk to you a little bit about some of the work of Daniel Susskind and how what you see coming down the the pike for not only advertising, but all professional firms. But we're up against our break. want to remind you that you can contact me or Ron at asktsoe at verisage.com. Full show notes always available at thesoulofenterprise.com as well as previews. Also, please keep those reviews coming on iTunes. Uh, you can get to thesoulofenterprise.com slash iTunes. We'll bring you right to that page. Love for you is to at least rate the show, but if you wouldn't mind spending a few minutes and writing a quick review, we would love that as well. Right after the break, we'll have more with Tim Williams. of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You 
were tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Tim Williams, who is the founder of Ignition Consulting Group. And Tim... We interviewed Daniel Suskin, one of the authors of The Future of the Professions, and he, of course, in his book, focused on eight professions, doctors and lawyers and accountants, didn't focus on ad agencies, but I've got to believe that all of this artificial intelligence and Watson and deep learning and even some of these other digital type platforms are affecting the agency world. How how is that unfolding in your space? it's unfolding in very disruptive ways, uh, faster, I think, than anyone ever expected, or, and faster than I think a lot of professionals really realize. Uh, there, there is, a, there is a, a firm out of the Netherlands that is a, a media agency. So this is a firm that, that plans and places media on behalf of advertisers whose entire business model is based on artificial intelligence, uh, the, the work that human media planners uh, w- would do looking through research databases and looking at ratings and so forth, is being done by a proprietary model that, that uses predictive uh, modeling, predictive analytics to, to optimize, to, to, to optimize a, a media plan in, in ways that, that, uh, that really have never been done before, and it's, uh, it's very disruptive. Wow. Didn't, didn't I hear you say that IBM is like one of the top digital agencies now in the world or something? They, Isn't there they some... are. IBM uh, Interactive is now in the top 10 size-wise uh, among U.S. agencies, um, as are some of the other uh, consulting brands that, have, that, have, that are now in this space uh, bought, who've bought digital agencies. Uh, that, that would be PwC and Accenture and Deloitte as well. Yep. Wow, that that's amazing. I mean, it just you know, Suskin's got this great line in the book that the thing that kills you doesn't look like you. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Just, uh, because you, these 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 brands, the, these companies were were nowhere to be found in the top one hundred just a few years ago, and and they they have gone from from that to to the top ten. And and if you unless you pay attention to this kind of thing, it it, it really surprises I, most uh, most agency professionals. I I often in in seminars will put up a slide and and ask, can you guess who are the the who, who's the, the the largest agency in America or the top ten? And they, and they'll guess all the venerable brands of Madison Avenue, who indeed used to be, but 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 are no longer. They they are being eclipsed by companies that don't look like them as you say wow and tim all this ai and all you know data analytics and predictive analytics and all of that uh, i i gotta believe there's there's a lot of logic work to that but it's also encroaching even on the magic work isn't it oh absolutely the there, there are headlines now in in the in the trade and business press about ibm's watson being hired as the agency for a brand, uh, so uh, you know, G- G- GM's uh, OnStar. I mean, here's here's a headline: GM's OnStar, IBM's Watson combined to market brands to drivers. 
and and so so maybe maybe a an agency populated by humans teaming up with Watson uh, being assigned as the so-called agency for for these brands. Uh, same with one eight hundred flowers and uh, you know a couple other headlines that I recall over the last year. That's yeah. I mean that. Because they, they, you know, if you if if Watson can compose music and 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 put together film trailers, uh, that's pretty magic. That's 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 uh, that's the kind of thing that that could be considered, uh, you know, only the realm of uh, human expertise in the past. Right, right. No, that that is that's fascinating, and I, I gotta believe that you know, it, it, people like you say they don't see this coming. And yet this technology is already out there. And the thing is, it's only getting better. You know, we joke that Watson's probably the only computer that gets more valuable as it gets older. (laughs) Yeah, because it, yeah, it just increases its knowledge banks and expertise. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a worrisome, it's, it, it is one of those, and, and Ed, this is to your point about the constantly moving line of math, magic and logic that, that right there, uh, artificial intelligence is moving that line uh, faster than almost anything that I that I can think of. And and Tim, the ad agency world is kind of interesting because you've got these five holding companies, and they own what like eighty five percent of the market or something combined. That's right. They do. It, 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 um, and do you see them innovating? I know they're public companies, but are they responding to this like you know you talk about magic logic and you talk about Ogilvy's red works i think yeah. it is there mm-hmm. the 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 beautiful factory that does a lot of the logic work and they can do it at a lower price and outsource and all of that yeah do you see that same level of innovation amongst the the five holding companies uh, yes it it is now happening there 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 were early innovators even among the multinationals uh uh Ogilvy in particular, and, and WPP, the holding company that owns them, uh, that unit is now called uh, was Hogarth, um, and um, now all five of the holding companies have an equivalent, where they they have they have basically <clears throat> said to their the companies that they own, which are uh, agencies of various stripes, uh, that the that, that they want the. They, they want a clear line between these two classes of work because they realize that that it's this is economically unsustainable for for a firm to attempt to do logic work in a in a high rise in midtown Manhattan pay, paying those salaries and those rents that kind of cost structure just will not will not uh, sustain doing the, the logic work that work is being optimized um, with workflow systems and and lower cost talent in other parts of the world that can just do it so much faster and cheaper and better by the way uh that that this is now uh, definitely is is a concept that that has taken hold and um the economics of it are ultimately the driving force they just realize that they they can't really try to do both types of work under the same roof right and of course Integral to changing the business models of, of these ad agencies is, of course, their pricing model. And since we have three Veris Agers here, we can't not talk about this. But I just wanted to get your take on, do you see progress in pricing among, say, let's start with the big, the big side of town. Do you see a lot of progress there? It's beginning. 
it, for a long time, it was like, you know, in most of the other professions, the, the independents who have more control over their own destiny, not, not, not the public companies. But the public companies are, are finally uh, starting down this path. Uh, again, I think because they, they realize that it, they just can't continue to save their way to success. Uh, they, they've, they've cut as much cost out of their, their systems as they can. They, they've been through a period of, of uh, you know, travel bans and moratorium, you know, expense moratoriums and, and replacing senior people with junior people and to the point where now the client community has, is concerned. And we see headlines about, you know, agencies suffer talent drain. And, you know, market is concerned about agencies' ability to uh, attract and afford world-class talent. And so even the large firms uh, have now realized they've got to find a way to uh, improve their margins so that they can keep the, the talent that, that is the reason they're hired in the first place. Right. And, and part and parcel to this pricing change, I mean, you know, IBM's not billing Watson out by the hour for crying out loud. So, you know, you got to change what you measure. Do you see any progress on agencies getting rid of their timesheets and, and adopting a, alternative measures? Uh, so, yes, uh, among the independents, for sure. Um, and again, this, this is, and to some extent, the, I mean, the multinationals are or very large machines that that uh, have to kind of it will take a while for them to wind down their their uh, global timesheet systems. But in in bits and pieces, uh, one one firm at a time, e- even that is now getting uh, serious attention. Whereas before it was kind of unthinkable. But um, uh, among a, a fairly uh, 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 well, a growing slice of the uh, independents uh, that that that's uh, that's finally reached. I think tipping points may be too strong of a word, but but it, it's it's definitely morphed from the the unthinkable. Like we could never possibly consider running our firm successfully without time tracking. To yeah, okay, I can see that there are other firms that do, and they're quite successful. I mean. Anomaly, which uh, you know we're all familiar with, uh, who famously started their their business this way, is advertising agencies 2007 advertising ages 2017 agency of the year. I mean that. So the answer to the question, can you run a successful firm without timesheets? Apparently, the answer is yes. <laughs> These guys have been doing it for a long time. <laughs> and, and Crispin Porter, obviously, has been another one. Um, it, yeah, you also, when I saw you speak once, you had a slide that just blew my mind. It was, a, it was the photo of all these different brands. And you said they all have something in common. They were all created without the help of a marketing agency. And it was things like Starbucks, Starbucks, and Facebook. I don't remember them all. LinkedIn, uh, you have Google, Twitter. Amazon, mm-hmm. yeah, eBay. It just seems it just seems Tim like with all of this AI and you know with the rise of Watson and IBM, it, it's a serious threat to the core of even the magic work of marketing agencies. It, it is, and it, it's it's also related to this phenomenon of. Advertising and it's viewed in a classic sense, just losing its its power and its leverage for lots of reasons. Uh, the, the, the 
you know, the ability of, of, of us as consumers to, to avoid advertising in, in lots of different ways. Uh, so that, that's becoming a, a less powerful tool to, to uh, market and sustain brands. So, and that presents a serious challenge to agencies who, who, are, who have been dependent on that model for, for many years, kind of advertising production machines. Now, having to find better, more effective ways of uh, of marketing their clients' brands, and and you know, Adobe did a survey this this recently this year, asking CMOs around the country what what is the most powerful tool in your arsenal this this coming year to impact the success of your brand, and their answer was the customer experience, wow. which is wow. Was just pretty disruptive for for agencies who who are not that well equipped to deliver on 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 that. So this is the world of experience design and service design, and uh, to some extent, behavioral economics. Sure, sure. So we're moving into more IDO territory, right? And yep. Yeah. Well, Tim, we're up against our last break. And when we come back, Ed's going to, you know, we've been throwing wiffle balls at you, but now we're going to throw a fastball at you from one of our okay. listeners. And uh, in the meantime, folks, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise 
Well, we have had the good fortune of having Tim Williams, one of the most brilliant strategic minds in business that I've encountered on the show for the last 45 minutes. And those of you who do want to listen to Tim's first appearance should go out to thesoulofenterprise.com slash Williams, and you can pick up the show notes as well as listen to the broadcast that we did back in December of 2014. Tim, one of our listeners has submitted a question. He knew you were going to be on, and Justin asked this. He says, as agency leadership, how should I how should you balance the need for specialization in order to grow faster with synthesizing other disciplines to come up with greater innovation? First of all, try, let's see if we can unpack the question a little bit, but then give us your thoughts on that. Well, uh, I, I, it's a great question and uh, worth definitely worth exploring. I've, I've got two reactions. One is that, Many specializations are actually a result of that very thing. They're kind of serendipity. Um, you didn't set out to to be expert in a in that particular area, but because you happened on a client that that you learned from, you 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 take you decide to take a turn in that direction. So that kind of experimentation, I think you always have to leave yourself up open for for serendipity and and. Uh, um, you know, just just luck in some way to, to take you in different directions where you might not have intended um, to, to go in a deliberate way. Um, the, the, the second, my second reaction is that 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 taking different services that that are at least um, allied uh, to, to your core competencies and packaging them up in different ways is is a form of uh, differentiation there's this thought you know michael porter i believe talks about this the the idea that unique combinations of even common services uh can can be very differentiating and can form uh the the, the basis of your business strategy you might be you might be doing something that actually is just a combination of things that you you actually could find elsewhere, but you're putting them together in a way nobody ever has before. Which I guess people like Clay Christensen might might argue is kind of even the nature of disruptive innovation. Yeah, one of the great ones, by the way. I don't know if you've heard of a company called Top Golf, Tim. No. That uh, uh, has has married the notion of golf and bowling. And wow. the, the idea is is that that you, you instead of you it, it think of a golf driving range, but then instead of just like a, a stall where you hit golf balls, there's also then this place where you sit down and you have food served to you, and then the balls each have individual RFID tags in them, and when they land in a different hole, you get points and you get to play against each other that you're while you're sitting around having a beer. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Yeah, there's there's an example. Yeah, unique unique combinations of you know. So that's not new technology, right? I mean, it's been famously right. argued that the iPhone wasn't really new technology. It was a new new combination of technologies. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the same the same thing for Uber too. We talk about how you know the fact that Uber lets you know how long it's going to be before your driver shows up was the real innovation. You know, the, mm-hmm. the rest of that stuff was around. But exactly. It's anyway, the way I want they packaged I, it. Exactly. I, I want to ask you a question, and in all fairness, Ron passed this one to me because uh, he, we were talking before you you got on, and, and he didn't get a chance to ask it, so I will. And, and that was is that you feel that, that you get m- more innovative ideas out of 
assigning individuals to go do something than you do out of brainstorming meetings. And I wonder if you could share your insight and thoughts on that. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, brainstorming. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I don't consider myself an expert in this area, but I, I, I've certainly studied enough to have an opinion about it. And I see it in action all the time coming from the creative services business. The idea, well, let's get together and brainstorm about this problem is, is just so much less useful than uh, either um, – if you do it in a guided way where you're using some, some tools that you know can help spur thinking – uh, that that sometimes can be useful, but but th- this has been demonstrated a number of times in lots of different ways. You can take the same members of that team, turn them loose for a dedicated uh, ninety minutes uh, individually, and bring them together, and and have many more ideas than you will ever get keeping them in the same room together during those ninety minutes. Because so the is that the dynamics, the group dynamics, they're they're they're. they're there are people who, who who are talkers and those who are, are silent introverts, but but bright and won't speak up. And you know the, the group dynamics, the same things that come into play that, that make focus groups largely a waste of time, also uh, um, or explain the the, um, the the lack of uh, of uh, output that you get in a brainstorming session. What you mean is, if you're if you're sitting around and you've got an idea to fix, you you send people away for ninety minutes and then gather them together and say, "Hey, what have what have you got?" and and do a group sharing there. Or is I, I just want to see, see if I understand the mechanism correctly. Well, I mean that would be an example of it. It's just the principle yeah. that that if if they if they are well briefed on the assignment, if they know the problem, they're briefed on the problem they're trying to solve. That you will get more productive thinking and and better answers and more creativity if you allow the individuals to 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 work um, on their own. And here, here here's the principle. It, it's you know I once had a a writer um, tell me you know this is kind of how it works. If I've got 90 minutes to work on an assignment, the first 30 minutes are for me like I'm writing a headline for an ad. The first 30 minutes are all the obvious ideas that that are rattling around in the back of my head. The the next 30 minutes are, are interesting uh, because they're 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 venturing out into new territory. And the last 30 minutes are, are can be truly original because I've had time. My brain has had time to to to, to pass pass through all the obvious ideas and get to get to the good stuff. But you can't really do that. If in a group setting, mm-hmm. interesting. Tim, interesting. we only have a few minutes, but I just wanted to ask you. You know, we've had Rory Sutherland on, and he's pretty pessimistic about the idea that some of these larger agencies can can change from, you know, billing by the hour and even keeping timesheets. And I, I'm I'm heartened to hear that you're much more optimistic than he is. But he did say something when he his message when he was president of IPA and in the UK, which was if. Agencies don't become behavioral economists. They're going to become irrelevant. He was basically saying that, you know, we understand how marketing and advertising works. Now we need to know how humans work. Do you see more and more agencies uh, embracing behavioral economics? I do. Uh, Some that are now even claiming it as a specialty. Uh, He he himself, of course, is involved with such a unit called Ogilvy Change, which is devoted to behavioral economics. And they're there are now a few independent firms that have decided to claim that as their specialty. 
because of this uh, phenomenon we, we talked about before the last break of the customer experience being so important now and, and agencies realizing that there, there are a lot of things that are way more important than the advertising messages in influencing perceptions about a brand um, and arguably much, much more powerful. I mean, if, if you, if, just to know, for example, when you walk into a grocery store and you go up in a, in a, you know, a particular category, you know, ketchup, if you've got three brands displayed, the, the, the one in the middle is, is going to be selected uh, more than the, the, the ones on either side. You know, is that useful to know? Yeah. And, and to, to, to know that those aspects of human behavior uh, are, are immensely valuable in the marketing space. And so some forward-thinking agencies have, have, uh, have decided that they need to learn a lot more about that. And they some have behavioral economic units. Um, even where they'll have a group of people who are devoted to this discipline, which is right. pure magic, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. I think it's a pushback against some of this AI. Well, Tim, we're up against it. Last question. You've got 20 seconds, but what are you working on? Are you working on a new book? Oh, wow. I've been working on a new book for about three years. <laughs> yes, I am working on a new strategy book. Uh, That's right. I, I keep getting distracted by uh, all the work I'm doing in pricing. But yes, I am working on a new strategy book, and uh, you'll okay, be the excellent. first to know. All right, excellent. And we'll definitely, we won't wait two years to have you back on. So thank you so much, Tim, for appearing on The Soul of Enterprise. Ed, what do we have up next week? Another interview show, Ron. Next week, we're having another repeat guest, and that is Father Robert Sirico from the Acton Institute. Oh, fantastic. I hope we can talk to him about his movie, Poverty, Inc., uh, which yeah. I've been watching and just absolutely loving. Well, look forward to it, Ed. See you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. We'll have on Father Robert Sirico from the Acton Institute. In the meantime, check out our show, no show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll post full show notes with our interview with Tim Williams. And if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. <laughs>